There's some number of bottles with some brown stuff in them, so I'm not sure. Probably not moonshine. I don't think they'd waste the moonshine on me. And for, I don't know what, four and a half, five hours uh, inside of that stadium, man, it was absolutely electric. Um, our fans showed out in, in, in a great way. It's, uh, and I'm going to be honest, man, that's why I wanted to be here. Um, because I believe in the power of the T. I believe in, in this university, believe in this athletic department. And I believe in, in uh, this fan base, man. And uh, tonight was a great showcase of that. Can a defensive player win the Heisman? And you've got so many good ones. Is there one that you all could promote? You know, I don't I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I, I would probably have said before the season that's impossible because statistics lead you to believe that it's always going to be an offensive player. We don't really care. We let you guys decide that. And uh, I respect it, but it's not something that we look for. And I'll be honest with you, the guys on our team are so bought into their roles. And as long as they do that, we'll keep getting better. We had a play call. We called timeout. We changed play. <laughs> Did you see something you didn't like? Or? <laughs> you want to know the truth? I'm yeah. not going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus. Again, two questions. Who's your quarterback moving forward, and uh, how do you explain that run defense? Yeah, uh, those are two really good questions. Uh, oh, welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter and flying solo for this episode, but I got a terrific guest lined up, reached out to Michael Katz of the Daily Journal there out of the state of Mississippi. He covers Ole Miss Rebels, so wanted to go a little bit deep dive on Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin, and I think you guys are really going to appreciate this interview with Michael Katz, and we just had the SEC teleconference here on Wednesday, so we got news and notes from that, as well as a couple other items around the SEC. So it's going to be a great show, and we'll start off with the latest rumors here. We talked about it on the last episode. Lincoln Riley, LSU, could it happen? It, you know, we're not writing it off at this point, but one of the best college football insiders there in the country, Bruce Feldman, has issued the following tweet here right before we hopped on the line. And uh, if you're watching, I'll throw it up on the screen. If you're just listening, this is what Bruce had to say. Lots of chatter about Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma for LSU, but I'm hearing that is not going to happen. Of course, uh, Bruce Feldman, again, one of the best in the business, Fox Sports, The Athletic, very plugged in there at LSU. He's one of uh, Coach O's buddies, written Two books about Coach O, one about uh, Meat Market. That's one of my favorite books of all time. If you've never read that, it's on uh, Coach O, behind the scenes recruiting there when he was Ole Miss head coach. And then they did another book here recently on the uh, national championship season. So very plugged in to the situation there at LSU. Again, he's not definitively saying that Lincoln Riley's not coming to LSU, but hey, if he's putting it out there, it's... uh, this is worth noting. That's kind of why I wanted to lead the show off with it. After starting last episode with that, I just figured figured we'd start with that news on this episode. But, uh, hey, moving on from Coach Hiring, how about Coach Firing? Now, <laughs> I never put a whole bunch of stock into any coaching odds when you see hires, fires, and all that. These are more for entertainment purposes than anything, but I just thought this was kind of fun. I shared it on my Twitter there. 
But sportsbetting.ag has come out with uh, their odds for the next coach to be fired. And the favorite, according to sportsbetting.ag, Dan Mullen. Three and a half to one to be the next head coach fired. That's over Manny Diaz, Miami coach. Man, something down there in the Sunshine State. No one can be employed. Mike Bloomgren, Rice, five to one. And then how about this? Oh, Steve Sarkeesian, Texas, five and a half to one to be the next coach fired. Again, I'm not saying this is uh, too realistic or, you know, sportsbetting.ag's got a pulse on these athletic departments. They, they probably have no idea. But it is interesting that we've got Sark already on the list here. He's not even coached his first season here at Texas. We've if you missed it, the AD has come out and had to. He issued a statement basically saying our roster's in shambles. Don't put this on Sark, but it's pretty rare you get that year one of a coach without some kind of major scandal. I don't know. That's funny to me. Dan Mullen, again, the, the odds on favorite according to sportsbetting.ag to be the next coach fired in college football. All right, let's move on to uh, the highlights of the SEC Coaches Teleconference. There were a couple good comments here that uh, I really thought the listeners would appreciate. And it starts with uh, Kirby Smart, who, before he became a, a coach, he was trying to get in there. You know, he was a defensive back for the Georgia Bulldogs after his collegiate career. I didn't think he spent any time in the NFL, but apparently he was with the Colts trying to get on the roster. And who was he in rookie minicamp with? None other than... Arkansas All-American Brandon Burlesworth, who tragically died there before ever setting foot on the NFL uh, for a regular season game after being drafted. I think he was a second or third round pick after being, a, of course, a walk-on. His story, well known. They've, they've even made a movie about him called Greater, I believe is the title of that movie. But, you know, that's why they've got the award. The Burlesworth Award, give it out annually to the nation's top overall player that began his career as a walk-on. And Stetson Bennett has been nominated for this award, along with uh, Arkansas's Grant Morgan, which Morgan's been nominated now for two years in a row. But during the SEC teleconference, Kirby shared that little nugget that, uh, you know, he knew Brandon. He played with him there in Indianapolis. We wanted to make sure that Stetson knew the story. So I just wanted to share this because I thought, uh, you know, Arkansas fans especially would appreciate this little story from Kirby. You know, Stetson Bennett got announced as a, as a finalist for the, for the Burlesworth Trophy. That's a, that's always a big deal here in Arkansas. I just, just wanted your, your thoughts on that. Well, super proud uh, for Stetson. What a great honor. I don't know. I don't know that people give that award the proper recognition um probably one of the just coolest greatest awards to me because it means i went here to school without a scholarship i went to do something special and and walk-ons are special because they 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 i mean they do it for free you know and most of them by the time they get to that award their their own scholarship they've proved everybody wrong um and it's a special award to me because the backstory for me is i was with the colts and to 1999 preseason, and uh, Burlesworth was there. He was he was a, he was a drafted player there, and uh, we both were at the Colts at the same time. Um, and then the tragic accident happened. So um, I was quick to explain that to Stetson the backstory behind the the, the, the award and what it means. And um, 
and, and what he was like. And, uh, you know, I think Stetson feels honored to be one of the finalists for that. Wow, so I never knew. So you, you were uh, at, uh, I guess, those mini camps with Brandon. Yeah, that's um, exactly right. In we April. were at the same time and came in the same day and started uh, meeting and prepping, and, um, and then the tragic accident happened. All right, so how great was that? But, uh, you know, that wasn't the only news and notes here from the conference. Josh Heupel always keeps it pretty vague when he's talking about injuries, but he was asked about Tyon Evans. That's a player that, uh, you know, there was some concern that the Tennessee's outstanding running back, his season was over. Again, not definitive one way or another, but uh, based on Josh Heupel's comments here, it sounds like Tyon Evans, there's a possibility that he still sees the field this season for the Volunteers. Yeah, Josh, do you have any uh, update on Tom Evans' uh, status, his availability for Saturday's game? I uh, don't. You know, I mean, you know me. Uh, we typically wait till the end of the week before we uh, we make a decision on on any of our guys. So, just looking long term, is there any concern with you that uh, that Tom may not be back? Um, this season, I, I know you've commented before if guys are out long term or not. Yeah, uh, don't believe that's the case. All right, then the big one here, I thought from the uh, coaches' teleconference. <laughs> I mean, the rumor that will not go away. Speaking of LSU, Jimbo Fisher, he was asked. You know, I don't even think he was he was truly being asked about LSU, but uh, he was asked about his recent comments about. You know, he'd have to be the biggest idiot in the world to to leave College Station with all the talent he's assembling there to go to LSU. Uh, so let's kick it over to Jimbo, who once again makes it known that, uh, hey, I'm staying here at A&M, but uh, this is maybe the most definitive that uh, he's come across with these statements. I know you've already uh, been asked about the uh, the LSU connection, and you, you made it very clear that you'd have to be the dumbest individual to go to LSU, but... It, it, no, it, it has not. It has, no, it doesn't mean. Listen, I don't want to clarify. There's not the dumbest. LSU is a wonderful place. We're, but we're doing great things here, and we're recruiting very well. And we've got great classes coming, and everything else. That's my point. I wouldn't want to play against all these guys. I'm I'm signing right now. There's no disrespect to LSU in any way, shape, or form. But I love being at at A and M. I love everything that's here what we're doing, what we're building, and what we're recruiting. And that's what I plan on being here for a long time. I, and that. Uh, kind of where I was going, Coach. I, I really wasn't trying to put words in your mouth. No, no, right no. There. I know that. I wanted to clear. I mean, I saw a headline in that yesterday. Somebody said that, and I said, I didn't say that. They didn't. They kind of conveniently left out the other part of the headline. I was just trying to clarify. I wanted to get that clarified on the record. I'm not helping you, Steve. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that, Coach. But right, uh, but uh, of with those ties in particular, it, it just uh, and the amount of success that you've had at every stop as well along your. Stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, does it? Does this help or hurt in recruiting when your name does get tied with another school? Well, I mean, it's either way. I mean, you, if you're honest and, and you address it and you're saying it, listen. If, if people think that much of it, they want you there. That's obviously if somebody wants your coach there. They think think highly of you. You know what I'm saying, or, or what you've done. And I think it can help. But I think you got to clarify, depending on how long you let things ride and, and do the thing. That's why I try to get out in front of this thing and, and say the statements in which we have. And like I say, that's a wonderful place. But, you know, I'm very happy here. I like what we're doing. And we're recruiting some great, great classes and great, great people, man. And uh, I don't want to play against these dudes. Thank you, Kev. Thank you. All right, so there you got it from Jimbo. And, you know, I wanted to wrap this all around because hey, it's sneaking up on us. If you don't realize – 
National Signing Day, or at least the early signing period, I guess we got to call it, is a month away. And by the time you listen to this podcast, it'll be less than a month because that begins on a Wednesday, four weeks from now, runs through Friday, of course, 72-hour window for prospects to sign in about 80 85% of prospects sign during their early signing period. And like Jimbo says, they have assembled one hell of a class. And look at some of these guys here that Texas A&M is trending with on the recruiting trail. These are not even prospects that they have committed at this point, but they're getting crystal balls for these guys. Again, that's an inexact science. Nothing's done until they sign on the dotted line. But Five-star receiver Evan Stewart, the number three player in the country, the number one receiver. Five-star defensive lineman Shamar Stewart, who's uh, the number eight overall player in the country, the number three defensive lineman. Five-star safety Jacoby Matthews. He's the 29 overall player and the number three safety. I, I believe he was formerly an LSU commit, maybe even a Texas A&M commit. He's flip-flopping back and forth. Uh, and then they're also in on four-star defensive lineman Anthony Lucas, the number one overall player from Arizona, the number nine defensive lineman in the country. And what do all those players that I just mentioned have in common? Not only are they trending towards Texas A&M, if you believe the whispers there on the recruiting trail, they all have offers and are heavily considering Alabama. Now, I'm not saying that uh, this narrative is being pushed by Alabama, but how convenient would that be for old Nick down there in Tuscaloosa to let this be known that uh, Jimbo is thinking about jumping to LSU? How realistic is it for Jimbo to jump ship and get all these players to, you know, recruiting them for months and months to Texas A&M and then say, you know, everything I sold you on Texas A&M, let's do it in Baton Rouge. I ain't buying that. And I'm wondering if a lot of these rumors have to do with the fact that uh, Jimbo is closing in on Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. They're, I, I believe those are the two that have the number one, number two recruiting classes. Jimbo, I believe, is number three. But again, here I just referenced three five-stars and a four-star, and that doesn't even include five-star defensive lineman Walter Nolan, who the Aggies got to commit from. But anybody you listen to says – that recruitment ain't over till it's over, till he signs. Again, I mean, after he committed to A&M, he was visiting Tennessee last week for the Georgia game. So how committed is he? I don't know. But there's recruiting wars going on behind the scenes. And without a doubt, this is playing into some of this Jimbo narrative. Like, I'm, again, I'm not sitting here saying there's no chance Jimbo leaves for LSU, but I find it very, very hard to believe, and it seems like every day he's putting out fires about him going to LSU, and I've made it well known, my thoughts, that I think he's got the better job right now for him personally there in College Station. All right, the final thing from the coaches' teleconference, I just thought this was hilarious. Mike Leach, as only he can, he was asked about uh, you know these, these coaches getting hired and fired and left and right, and... They're not lasting long. What in the world's going on with college athletics that uh, many coaches now are, you know, it's a struggle to get to year four. I mean, by year two, year three, we need to be seeing results. If we're not seeing it, your ass is out of here. Mike Leach was asked about it, and he just gave one hell of an answer as only he can. Uh, yeah, Coach. Uh, what do you think a couple reasons are behind the 
acceleration and changing coaches during the past, like, let's say, 10 years. It's amazing how many have gone, come and gone in the SEC in that period. Because uh, people are nuts. I think, uh, um, <laughs> you know, I just think, first of all, I think things go at trends. Uh, but general, uh, just uh, general societal mental illness, I think. And I think the other thing that contributes to it is, uh, you know, the same things happen with AD. It's almost like, you know, I mean, it, it's like there's been a bounty on ADs. And so then as a result, there's one on coaches too. And I think that, um, you know, and, and to me it seemed like when people were all stuck at home with COVID, there's all this nervous energy. And you saw a bunch of ADs and coaches get fired. Um, I hadn't even coached games, you know, or for that season. They had to coach the AD for a year or two before. Like, oh, well, we're not going. Hey, let's fire somebody. So, uh well. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, I think what you're saying is accurate, but I don't think I don't think it's productive. You know, it's like if you're a farmer and you go out and say, "Well, I want to grow corn," and you plant some corn and it grows six inches, and you say, "Well, it didn't grow fast enough," so you yank it out of the ground, and then you know, and there's coach after coach in the NFL Hall of Fame. I mean, back in the day that if you held them to that standard, they wouldn't be there. I mean, they'd just be gone. Yeah, it seems so. And when you say mental illness, and I know you're being a, a little facetious, but what is the, what would you say the malady is? What's that? What would you say the malady, What what is the malady? I mean, is it? Impatience, anger. I mean, fans get so outraged on social media now. What is it? Well, I think it can. I think there's probably a number of things, and I haven't thought about this very much until you've asked me. But I think that um, I think the addiction to machines is part of it. You know, then instead of uh, people uh, one communicating with one another, and then two. Uh, making their decisions based on kind of independent thought. I think then a lot of times on machines and social media do the thinking for some. One, I don't think that's very healthy. I appreciate the insight. Thank you. All right, thanks. So society's falling apart (laughs) and blaming social media. I mean, Mike Leach, uh, we all know he's had – Issues with social media. I mean, he's hilarious on there, but it, it's also gotten him in trouble a time or two. So he might be on to something here. This is maybe my favorite comment of the entire season right here, but this just seems like Leach shooting from the hip. Like, uh, th- that's all he seems to know how to do. And uh, I thought it was just hilarious. Staying in that state of Mississippi, let's kick it over to our interview with Michael Katz of the Daily Journal in Mississippi. This is a really good interview. I think you guys are going to appreciate it. And we touch on the Egg Bowl, of course. It's not just Ole Miss talk here. All right, well, we're joined now by Michael Katz, who covers Ole Miss for the Mississippi Daily Journal. Give him a follow on Twitter at Michael L. Katz, and that's with a Z. And give a follow to the Facebook group, too, with Ole Miss Discussion 
with Parrish Alford and Michael Katz. Michael, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. How, how are you doing today? Oh, man, I'm doing good, but I'm not doing as well as Lane Kiffin and them Ole Miss Rebels coming off of such a big win there against Texas A&M. I want to ask you all about that, but before I get to that, you know, I caught um, one of your interviews there with Paul Feinbaum, and I had no idea until I heard that that uh, you actually, you know, have a previous experience there with Lane Kiffin going back to uh, your days at Southern Cal. Can you can you tell me a little bit about that, and uh, how have you seen Kiffin grown uh, as a head coach since that time? Yeah, it's it's funny. Every time you think the world can't get any smaller, it, it somehow does that, you know, eight years after I graduate, Lane Kiffin and I would both be in Oxford, Mississippi, uh, of, of all places. But uh, yeah, no, he was uh, he was the head coach when I was a student reporter for uh, for the Daily Trojan. Um, I, I covered uh, covered them in 2012 was the year I traveled with the team. Uh, he was he was fired in 2013, and, and a lot has happened uh, since then. And you know, that was one of the things that, that Paul was really interested in, is just kind of hearing how he's kind of different. And, and the way I, I guess the best way I can sum it up is, you know, obviously there's a big difference between a 30-something-year-old and a 40-something-year-old just in terms of maturity and the way they handle things. But I think the biggest thing for me is I, I, think, I think Lane is having a lot more fun with kind of being you know part of the joke and the brand if you will I, I think he enjoys kind of poking fun at himself and and other people on twitter i don't know if he was necessarily super comfortable with that aspect of it uh you know during his usc days he's he's really kind of uh he's done a really nice job of of laughing at himself and the things around him and i don't i don't know if that was something that i i really could have said about him uh, when he was at SC, you know, he was a 30, early 30s guy, you know, sort of trying to, uh, you know, with, with one of the toughest jobs in college football that, you know, we kind of, uh, you know, he, he was kind of thrown into and, uh, you know, it, it did not work out as as he would have liked there. But I, I think he learned from it and, and with everything that happened at Tennessee before that and everything that's happened since, I think he sort of learned that you have to sort of embrace your your persona to an extent. And, and I, th I think he's, he's really kind of come to terms with, you know, uh, who, who he is. And, and he's, he's, I think he's, I think he's comfortable in his own skin uh, a lot more compared to the, when he was uh, at USC. Yeah. And that last season that you referenced, was that the year they went to the Sun Bowl? And it was that, am I correct on that? It, it sure was. It was the, uh, it was the preseason number one team that finished seven and six. I, I, I've, I've never been good luck. So apparently uh, I, I will, I, I will, I'll wear that one. When I worked at NFL network, there was a lot of USC alums in there and that man, they told me some wild stories of that year, but maybe that's for a different, different time here because we're on to bigger and better in the SEC. But, you know, speaking of that, I know, so clearly you've covered Southern Cal. You've covered, uh, you, you were up there in uh, Wyoming, I believe, before you came to the SEC. So I really wanted to ask you, has there been a moment where you're like, holy shit, like this SEC is different. Has there been a, a moment like that for you? Yeah, I think it really hit me when I went to Brian Denny uh, a month and a half ago or whatever it was, because um, that was the real first 
SEC road game. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, you know, I, I, I grew up, you know, going to the Rose Bowl and stuff, and that's a very different experience. You know, I grew up, you know, 10 minutes from there, and that's, that's its own, you know, majesty, but it, it's not a true road game for anybody. Uh, you know, going to that, and I would say Tennessee, uh, which had its own issues uh, in terms of <laughs> golf balls and mustard being thrown on the field, but, uh, you know, just I had never really seen that sort of, you know, a hundred thousand people just that excited and, and, you know, singing along to songs and, and just being, you know, from start to finish. So into a game, I think that was the moment where I said, Oh man, this isn't, you know, I love the mountain West. I, I had some great times there, but it's moments like that where it really hits you that you are covering something a lot bigger than uh, you know, a, a Wyoming Boise state game. Mm-hmm. Now, how about the Grove? There's so much, uh, you know, talk about it. I'm sure when you got this job, people were referencing it all the time. Did the Grove and that experience, did that live up to the hype for you? You know, it's so funny because I, everybody's been telling me about it. My first trip to the Grove was actually this last weekend um, for game day. Oh, wow. um, I had never, I didn't even know where it was. I just had to follow somebody um, who knew where <laughs> they were going. Uh, it turns out it was like literally right next door, like the parking lot I, I normally use it. So that was nice. But, you know, I'd heard about it, and, and you know, it obviously has a, a great reputation. And I I had just never, like, you know, I kind of hit the ground running when I got here in August and haven't really had a, a ton of time to, you know, explore that kind of stuff. So I went out there for college game day bright and early. And, man, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it seems like an awesome place to just, you know, do the whole tailgate college football thing. It's it's beautiful. It's got all the shade and the trees. Um, it, it, it's, it's on campus. It's, it's close to the stadium. Uh, it's, it, it really, um, it, I think it's really sort of what, what tailgating in college football is all about. You know, I, I went to USC and tailgating there's a little bit different because the Coliseum isn't like where you tailgate, uh, you, you tailgate on campus and it's kind of spread around. Um, and tailgating at USC is, uh, you know, a lot of great memories, but it, it's just a little bit different when you have a, a sort of place like the grove where everybody kind of collectively goes and um it, it was it was really cool to see those you know those thousand plus however many you know fans that were there bright and early some of them got there at like 8 p.m the night before which is insane uh I, you know it seems a little bit excessive to me but i guess if i had been in uh you know the right state of mind i might have uh <laughs> I, I might have understood a little bit more where they were coming from but uh, just really passionate people, and just it's it's it, 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 it's it seems like a great place to 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 get ready for a college football game. That's for sure. How often does someone ask you about Arch Manning and what you know about uh, his recruitment and all that? Uh, you know, it, <laughs> it doesn't help when Lane holds up a sign that says "We want Arch." That doesn't really uh, you know, help the the narrative very much. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, my dad's asking me about it, which, you know, it's like, thanks that you dad, I promise as soon as I get information, I'll let you know. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. That hype train is moving. You know, he was on ESPN uh, a couple weeks ago for a game and mm-hmm. you know, obviously the Mannings are, are, are royalty here. And, uh, you know, Eli was here for his Jersey retired. <laughs> we had to ask him about Arch, which is just crazy to ask him about a 16 year old. Um, but that's just kind of the, the way college football is. And we, with a name like that and, uh, you know, everything that that family has done, you know, for this school, I, I think people, 
are, are potentially really excited, but I also think that they're realistic about, you know, what college football is and, and that, you know, it, you know, as much as I'm sure he loves Ole Miss, there's going to be a lot of other factors that come into his recruitment. But I think people are cautiously optimistic, but, you know, if, if, if it doesn't work out, um, you know, I, I, I still, I, I feel confident in saying that uh, Ole Miss will still be, you know, happy with the Manning family. Right. And maybe, you know, Lane Kiffin, Jeff Levy, their best sales pitch is just what they've been able to do with Matt Corral. And given the fact that there really hasn't been a guy that has stepped out and staked his claim for the Heisman Trophy, at least not yet, can you make the case after watching all of Matt Corral's games this year why he should be the guy that uh, brings home the Heisman Trophy at the end of the season? Yeah, so I, I, you know, I, I know that the Heisman is—it's a lot of numbers and it's—it's—it's it's, it's window dressing to an extent because listen, not every Heisman voter can watch every game. That's just how it goes, and I get that. Um, you know, numbers do matter, but I, I said this on Twitter uh, a week or two ago that I thought Matt Corral. I, you know, I don't know who's going to win the Heisman, but I think he's the most important player in college football to his team, mm-hmm. and I say that because. That offense, everything they do from the running game to obviously the passing game, everything, their their tempo, it is all predicated on Matt Corral being back there um, because his ability as a runner opens things up for that trio of running backs. Um, he, I mean, he's got a golden arm. I think we all know that. Um, I, I, I really think that his importance to that team can't be understated. And, and you know, he's – I mean, he's got what I think he's got 17 touchdown passes and two picks and then 10 rushing touchdowns, which are, I mean, those are really nice numbers, but you know, you look at the highs and trophy winners, they're usually in like the thirties and forties when you look at, you know, total touchdowns and whatnot. But, you know, I, I think you kind of have to put Matt Corral's season into, into context. You know, he's, he was on one leg for a while with, you know, got, got carted off, you know, during a game and came back in, uh, you know, a few minutes later, uh, he's had a lot of receivers out, uh, but I think the most important thing is is that Ole Miss has 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 been winning games and he has not turned the ball over and that was always kind of the thing with him is you know last year I think he threw 11 interceptions in two games mm-hmm. and the rest of the season he only threw three um, you know when when it rained it poured for Matt last year and he hasn't had a lot of moments where he turned the ball over at all but he's done a really good job of just not letting things snowball and just kind of trudging forward and. You know, I think I think most people would would say that this Ole Miss offense is a lot of fun to watch, and it just does not operate without Matt Corral. I I, I think Lane Lane has said you know how important Matt is, and you know coaches don't necessarily love to put that on one guy, but I I think he realizes just how special Matt is, and um, you know I I don't know if there's a you know there's just going to be you know Bryce Young's having an amazing season, Kenny Pickett's having a great season. Um, you know, those quarterbacks are probably going to end up with better numbers. But uh, I, I don't know if there's a quarterback who means more to his team than, than what Matt Corral does for Ole Miss. Now, how surprising was it last week getting back to that A&M game? You know, I don't think it was stunning by any means that Ole Miss won that game. But it was more the way they won. I mean, they, they dominated the run, rushing advantage. Uh, they won on the line of scrimmage. That defense really set the tone. How surprised were you that uh, – that the game played out in that way. Yeah. So I, I had a lot of scenarios envisioned in my head of like how Ole Miss could win and winning a defensive struggle was definitely not like one of the ones that I had 
envisioned. Like, if I, I thought, you know, if, if Ole Miss was going to win against a very, very good A&M defense, it was going to be a Matt Corral-Heisman game. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's how I thought it had to happen, and he was going to have his moment, and, you know, that's how it was going to come through for him. And, you know, Matt played fine, uh, but, he, you know, he, he, he missed some throws, and he was not as sharp as, as we have seen him uh, at times. Uh, and the offense stalled uh, a lot. You know, they, they were not very efficient in, in the part of the field where they needed to be. And, uh, you know, it, this was a game that, you know, other than the third quarter where A&M, you know, kind of did some stuff offensively, it was a game where the Ole Miss defense really sort of dominated. And that was just not, you know, it's something that we've seen in stretches this year. Uh, you know, they'll have a good quarter or, you know, they'll have a good, you know, few minutes stretch and then, you know, the levy breaks and, mm-hmm. and, and things kind of, you know, something happens. But this was a game where really kind of from start to finish, the defense was really on top of things. And, you know, I, I don't know if I've, you know, really seen a game this year where I can say the defense is the reason Ole Miss won that game. Uh, you know, there's there's been moments, like I said, you know, the two-point conversion, uh, you know, uh, fit fail uh, from Arkansas, you know, that was a nice play. Um, you know, against Auburn, they they lost that game, but they held, you know, Auburn to just three points, and that kind of kept them in the game that whole second half. The offense just kind of let them down. Uh, you know, there there have been games where you've seen the defense kind of, you know, make an impact, but it's never been really the reason that a game was was decided. Uh, and and this was just a really really impressive performance. I I, I honestly thought that A and M was going to be able to run the ball with those two good backs and that big physical offensive line and. Um, you know, I, I will I will eat crow on that one. I was wrong. The, uh, the Ole Miss defense really, really stepped up. All right, Michael, I really appreciate your time. I just got one more thing for you. We got the Egg Bowl. I know we got a game this weekend with Vanderbilt, but uh, I cannot imagine that there's anybody in that state that is not already looking forward to the Egg Bowl. Obviously, Thanksgiving night, it's going to be the battle for the second place in the SEC West. Who would have seen that coming in the preseason? Are you already sensing that energy and that buzz surrounding this game? And and I I believe this is gonna be your first egg bowl, but you got you better be prepared, man, for something weird because this this is my favorite game every year in the SEC. Something wild always happens, and uh, I I think we're gonna get it something weird again. Yeah, and that's you know that's what's so great is like you know I distinctly remember I was at a friend's house for Thanksgiving a couple years ago when Elijah Moore lifted his leg up I <laughs> uh, remember that I you know I remember Matt Corral getting in the face of Jonathan Abram I believe it was uh, mm-hmm. that was the whole situation it's just every year there is just something that is so abnormal but that's just so like that's what makes it great and there is so much energy just with you know, uh, you know, late on game day, saying that that Mike Leach is the best offensive play, you know, offensive coach in college football, and then Mike Leach saying like, "Oh no, I think he's just saying that." Uh, you know, there's just a there's a good sort of banter between the two. Um, they're just very good for in, in in that aspect of things, and not to mention that, you know, Mississippi State, yeah, they have a couple of really weird losses, but they've also got a few really really good wins, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, they're they're back in the top 25 of the CFP. Uh, I'm imagining they're going to take care of business against Tennessee State this weekend. Um, so you know you've got a, a seven and four Mississippi State team against the nine and two Ole Miss team with so much you know a New Year's Six game on the line. Uh, the, the the numbers seem to really like uh, you know Mississippi State. So if they won that game, you know I wouldn't be surprised if they maybe get a sniff there. And uh, there's 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 a lot on the line. Uh, the game is always. Uh, 
it's it's always a, a, a spectacle and I have been told uh to 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 uh, you know, just kind of plan accordingly for, for not, uh, maybe not being as timely on deadline as I would like to be, because <laughs> it's probably not going to be decided until the very last second. Absolutely. All right. Well, he's Michael Katz. Got to give him a follow at Michael L. Katz. And don't forget to check out the Facebook group, Ole Miss Discussion with Parrish Alford and Michael Katz. Michael, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, so I appreciate Michael joining me. Again, you can follow him at Michael L. Katz on Twitter, and he does a hell of a job there covering the Ole Miss Rebels for the Daily Journal out of the state of Mississippi. Really thankful for his time, uh, giving us some insight into the Ole Miss Rebels, and I thought our audience would really love the fact that uh, we got a a guy from Pac-12 country who's coming in, getting his first taste of the SEC, and everything they say, living up to the hype, and, I mean, it's no surprise to anybody on this show, but it's as true as they say, man. There's, there's nothing quite like the SEC out there. But sticking there on the theme with uh, Ole Miss, let's kick it on down to Oxford where the Rebels set to host Vanderbilt for their final home game of the season. And interestingly enough, I mean, no one's expecting this to be a game, of course, the way Ole Miss, number 10 in the country Vanderbilt you know there are two losses away from two seasons without an SEC victory massive massive favorites here are the Ole Miss Rebels but of course in a game like this you always got to be concerned of a little bit of a hangover how will the Rebels bounce back after beating Texas A&M after getting you know the college game day was there it was such a hype game but in Lane Kiffin's mind a little bit disappointed The Aggies were able to run their offense with no silent count. That's an issue. We've seen, we'll get to Kiffin's comments here in a minute, but the AD, some of the players, they're urging fans to come out. And maybe it's hard to get up for Vanderbilt. I understand that. But uh, just, I mean, this could be real, real danger of uh, sleeping on the Vanderbilt Commodores. Uh, So let's kick it over to Lane Kiffin, who, you know, he's letting the fans know this is probably going to be the last opportunity you're ever going to get to see Matt Corral in Oxford with the Rebels. I don't think that's a huge surprise or anything, but it is interesting that you got a head coach out here calling it while Matt Corral obviously has another season of eligibility remaining. But let's kick it over to Kiffin, who's not really holding anything back here. Just your thoughts on Vanderbilt. I mean, and uh... – I know maybe not you guys, but the fan base looking ahead to Thanksgiving night already. Uh, how do you temper that with your guys, and what do you think about Vandy? Well, all you got to do is look around the country. You know, happens every week. Somebody, there's Texas, Kansas, Florida went to <clears throat> South Carolina. You know, these big number favorites. Um, and it's an SEC game. So, you know, we've had issues with all three phases at some point of the year, you know, so there's no looking ahead. Um, we're excited to be playing at home. You know, <clears throat> to me, it should be a challenge to our fans that Texas A&M didn't use a silent count, which is pretty unheard of in this conference to go on the road and use a verbal count. Um, you know, it should be a challenge to our fans to cheer louder. So, um, you know, like I said, senior day and you know, probably the quarterback's last day. Um, hopefully we show up. All right, and then on the flip side, of course, this is going to be uh, <laughs> Clark Lee's only opportunity to see what he his defense can do against Matt Corral. 
Last season, I mean, it was a joke. Vanderbilt just got destroyed. I think it was like 50-something to – I can't remember the score, but I'm pretty sure Vander, Vanderbilt got uh, about 50 points put on them on about three quarters. It was a laugher. This is a new Vanderbilt, though. The results not really showing on the field just yet. But uh, Clark Lee was asked about uh, Matt Corral, what he sees in him, and about the defense. Getting so many pressures, getting all these turnovers left and right, that is obviously going to be the only way the Vanderbilt Commodores stay in this game. Maybe you get the uh, Matt Corral four, five, six turnover game. We haven't seen that all season from Matt Corral, so certainly not suggesting that's going to happen, but we've seen it in the past. Again, could they be overlooking the Vanderbilt Commodores? It's going to be hard not to, given the fact how low they are at the moment and how high Ole Miss is after beating Texas A&M. So uh, let's kick it over to Clark Lee, who gives a scouting report on Matt Corral and this Ole Miss offense. Along those lines, how, how do you evaluate Matt Corral relative to the other quarterbacks you faced this year? Well, he's a creator. He's, um, he's a guy that has the ability to extend plays and throw from multiple arm angles and find open receivers. It's not going to always be the way it looks in the playbook. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be um, his ability to, to, uh, to make the play that's required to, to move the ball forward. He's athletic. He's got a good arm and he's got good people around him. And so, um, you know, I think we, we have a challenge that that's a, that's a, um, obviously the, the offense starts with him as, as is most of the case, but um, but certainly a guy that we feel like is dangerous and that we're going to have to be um, attentive to in, in our planning to make sure we, we have a chance to, to uh, slow them down, but he's a good player. And I think what makes him really good is his ability to create and the, the play's never over. Um, the receiver's never covered. You got to assume he's going to be able to extend and find find somebody late. And uh, we're going to have to be on our toes and and um, and addressing that challenge. Outside that one, um, Chris Pierce interception at the end of the first half, um, you kind of struggled to generate turnovers against Kentucky. Was there anything specifically that they did to kind of limit that? And, you know, what kind of is there – Anything that you need to do to kind of be able to get more pressure against Ole Miss? Well, I think that you that you answered the question there at the finish. We weren't able to impact the quarterback, um, and when you when you can't impact the quarterback and he can throw in a clean pocket, it's hard to you know it's hard to to make the play on the ball down the field. And we had opportunities to. I mean, it's it's it, the frustrating part of it isn't always like, you know, we have, we have free runners at the quarterback. We have, we have techniques that we use to, to disrupt the ball, to mirror hand, to, to um, impact the arm or the fall through the quarterback that um, you know, that we, we weren't, you know, that we weren't doing, you know, and so it's, it's getting back to the basics there. It's, it's continuing to make the disruption of the thrower uh, a priority. And when we've had turnovers this season on defense, some of it is guys making plays, but a big part of it is, is getting the pressure to either speed up the quarterback's clock or somehow impact follow through uh, to get the throw off target. All right. And speaking of uh, job speculation, I meant to put this on the last episode. We were so jam packed, did not have time to get to it, but Justin Fuente, if Surely you've seen it by now. He got fired by Virginia Tech this week. And what did that result in? Of course, because it's the rumor mill season. Uh-oh, Shane Beamer 
Frank Beamer's son, all the connections there. Will Virginia Tech make that call? Uh, Shane Beamer did his best to throw a wet blanket on any of that speculation here this week in Columbia. Obviously, the Virginia Tech job opened up this morning. I know, you know, we know your history, your dad's history there and, and your time there. Just wanted to ask you where you stand in relation to that and, and as the head coach at South Carolina right now, too. Yeah, uh, certainly you hate to ever see anyone uh, lose their job. Uh, so... Uh, tough from that standpoint. Obviously, I love Virginia Tech. I moved there when I was 10 years old. I, I went to high school there. I went to college there. Uh, I coached there. My parents still live there. So I have special memories of uh, uh, my time in Blacksburg, and, and that'll always be you know special to me. But uh, this is where I want to be. When I said this was my dream job, uh, I wasn't just saying that to make it sound cool in a press conference or, or to get the job. This is where my wife and I and my family want to be. Uh, we didn't put that sign up over there in williams Bryce Stadium that said, welcome home, just because it was trendy and a slogan. This is home uh, for me. And uh, I want to be the head football coach here at South Carolina. I love working with or working for Ray Tanner and, and Chance Miller. They are fantastic, and we have a, an amazing relationship. Um, I love this state. I want to live in this state. I love this city. I want to be living this city. I told our team a couple weeks ago, my son Hunter, he's in second grade, I guess. I want him to graduate high school from, you know, here in Columbia. And, and this is where I want to be. We're, we're just getting started. Uh, recruiting is going amazingly uh, well. There's a lot of energy about this program right now. There's a lot of excitement about this program right now. Uh, my goal is to bring an SEC championship here to Columbia, and we're just in the beginning stages um, of it. So, no, I'm the, I'm the head coach at, at South Carolina. I want to be the head coach at South Carolina. And, and, and then, you know, probably beyond any of that is we use the word love around here a lot, and I love coaching these coaching these kids and uh, couldn't imagine uh, not coaching these guys and, and uh, love what they're about and, and love being their head football coach. All right. So I think this is the, basically the best way you can handle a situation like this, particularly when your team is facing a fight for postseason, their postseason lives this week against Auburn. I mean, this cannot be a distraction at any point. And if you kind of half-ass this one like Lincoln Riley did on, on the last episode, if you missed that, go back and check that out. But, yeah, any kind of uh, lingering doubt here in South Carolina, I mean, they just cannot afford to lose any focus. And I'm going to be perfectly honest. I try to be as honest as I can on this show. I'm a guy that's praised Shane Beamer, particularly the job he did last offseason. I think he did a better job than any of these first-year SEC coaches in the offseason getting the recruiting going and you know just pushing the whole program in the right direction. The SEC media days, he knocked it out of the park. And I'm not sitting here saying that uh, you know he's been horrible as a coach here leading South Carolina to a 5-5 five and five record at this point, still have an opportunity to go 7-5. and five. Imagine if they, if they beat Auburn and Clemson, I mean, that'll be one hell of a season. So I'm not saying he's a terrible coach here, but to me, when it comes to game day, when it comes to staff decisions, when it comes to roster management even, I mean, the more I watch Jason Brown, he looks like the best quarterback they've had. And it still troubles me that uh, they found a way to get Luke Doty injured in preseason. So there are some issues. Basically what I'm dancing around is I don't know if Shane Beamer is even qualified 
for the Virginia Tech job. And that's not to say that uh, Virginia Tech's better than South Carolina. I'm not trying to make that argument, but I don't know if Virginia Tech is picking up the phone and making that call to Shane Beamer at this point because you got to remember where Frank Beamer had that program. They were constantly in it with the, the Big East. It was the ACC annually in contention for the, the conference contention there, and they have not been that way for years. So they cannot afford to screw this up. Would Shane Beamer be a, a good hire? Potentially he would be, but I don't know, man. I'd go with someone a little bit more veteran, in my opinion. But, uh, hey, that's just my thoughts on it. So I really don't think South Carolina in a roundabout way, I guess I just backhanded complimented you. And not even your program, but more Shane Beamer. I don't think uh, you got to worry about losing Shane Beamer up to this point. Let him build. Let's see what he can do. Let him get a couple 10-win seasons before you're worried about losing him. So, hey, that's just kind of the way I see it. But I think this is the, the perfect way for Shane to address any speculation that he'd be interested in leaving after just one year. You'd hate to see that if you're a Gamecock. But like I said, man, they've got a big, big opportunity this Saturday going up against the Auburn Tigers who are down Bo Nix. They're down Anders Carlson. They're starting T.J. Finley, who if you go back and look at uh, his one year at LSU, I know he played well against South Carolina. That's getting mentioned left and right all week. I don't think that has got anything to do with the game upcoming. But what I do think, you can. there's a takeaway there. T.J. Finley's not played that well on the road. And obviously that's where South Carolina's played the best this year. So you got to force T.J. Finley to beat you. I mean, Auburn's going to want to dictate it with Mike Bobo, Tank Bigsby. They're going to want to ground and pound. That was something that uh, Missouri was able to get get away with last week. That's why they beat the Gamecocks. Florida, not so much, which South Carolina defense shows up this week. That is going to be paramount, and that's something uh, on the coaching staff's mind for sure. Hey, Coach, facing another top 10 rushing attack in the SEC this week, how confident are you the defense can bounce back and have a better performance than they had against Mizzou? And then on the flip side, Zaquandre had another good game. Talk to us about what you've seen out of his progress this season. Yeah, uh, as far as our defense, I mean, it seems like the it's story of uh, – I mean, it's SEC football. Every week it seems like you're getting ready to play uh, an explosive physical run game. I mean, you go back to, to Georgia – and their backs, and then you got Kentucky and Rodriguez coming in here, and uh, who you got Vanderbilt, and they had gone for I think 200 plus yards on Van- on Stanford when we played them, and and then you've got Florida and what they were able to do, or Tennessee and the, what they were able to do as a, the running game, and and then Florida and the way they ran the quarterback, and then last week with Beatty, and then this week with Bigsby and the rest of those running backs. So it's it's certainly. Uh, it's uh that's SEC football, you know for sure. So we've seen a lot of great running backs throughout the season. This is another um, dynamic one that we're about to see. That's a little bit of a different style than some of the other ones we've seen. But our guys have shown that they can stop the run. I mean that's what Florida does. Florida was averaging seven yards a carry when they came in here, and we stopped the run not that night. And and uh, we've got to be more consistent doing it than what we were against Missouri. We got to be more consistent as a football team in all phases. Uh, than what we were against Missouri because we just we were just we were just too inconsistent the other night. Uh, but our, I know our guys can. It's going to take a great commitment to it. It's going to create great physicality and 
and uh, you know we've got a they, they've shown they can do it. And then in, kicking out of the flip side of this, I just thought it was interesting. Brian Harson talking Bo Nix injury and just the toughness factor there. For you got to remember, Bo Nix in, he broke his ankle in the third quarter. He stayed in the game for a quarter and a half, and he was still completing passes out there. He was still taking hits. I mean, I cannot imagine the pain tolerance he must have to have done that. Uh, yes, he got pulled, but there was about, I want to say about three minutes left in the game. I think he got hurt with about nine minutes left in the third quarter. So that's a lot of football that he tried to play on a broken ankle. He may have even hurt Auburn's chances, to be honest with you, I'm just being out there limited. But that's what a leader does, man. He goes out there and, and tries to seal the deal and couldn't get it done. But uh, nonetheless, Brian Harson talks about uh, the toughness that took, and he talks about T.J. Finley having to run the offense through a new quarterback, and he doesn't see it as that big of a deal, but you got to believe they're going to adjust to his skill set, which is, I think, a lot different than Bo Nix. So uh, I think we're going to see a little bit different offense this week from the Auburn Tigers, a lot less rollouts, a lot less quarterback run which is kind of the strength of Bo Nick's game. So let's kick it over to Brian Harson. Bo got kind of hurt there at the end of the third, and then he was able to come back in for a couple more drives. What do you think that says about him and just kind of his toughness to go back out there and play on that ankle injury? Yeah, well, that's, you know, the first thing we talk about, the quarterback position is toughness. And, you know, there's no question with that with Bo, and I've said that before. Um, he was injured on a, on a long throw that he had made. Um, continued that drive, came out, got looked at, um, was able to go back into the game and play and, you know, was available to do that. So, you know, one is, you know, Bo is a tough, he's a tough individual, number one. Um, you know, he wants to win. He wants to succeed. He wants to be a part of that. Uh, says a lot about just, you know, his desire to be out there with his teammates and to provide whatever he can uh, from that position to try to help us win. Um, I love that. I love the attitude. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, he was injured and, you know, he'll be out the rest of the season. Um, but he's got a, he's got a great attitude about it. Um, so. Uh, Ryan, I guess when this week for TJ and, and Mike and you guys is one of the biggest things just kind of getting together and, and finding out comfort level and what he, what he likes in an offense, like you would do, you know, with, say, Bo early in the year for him? Is it is that a big deal this week to kind of find out, hey, what do you like in this situation and kind of working together to, to kind of tailor the offense a little bit more towards him? Uh, we kind of know what he likes, and that, that's, that's been part of uh, every single week. You know, you want to know what those guys are thinking, and that's part of their preparation. Uh, that's part of the process where you get quarterbacks and players' opinions on things. Um, and most of the time it ties into what, what the coaches are thinking too. There's a lot of similarities there. Uh, but as far as TJ, we, we've already been doing that. You kind of know what he likes. You, and again, we're going to have to still run our offense and do things that, that we feel are going to be successful. And he's going to have to be able to execute those. And he's, he's going to have done um, everything that we have in our game plan. It's just a matter of, you know, Bo's had more reps at it in practice and obviously more reps in the game. So TJ's seen it. He's done it. Um, he's going to get all the reps, you know, all those starting reps this week and have himself uh, prepared from that standpoint. And then, yeah, certainly his opinion and some of the things that he sees as he studies the film, because uh, each player is a little bit different. 
you know, in what they do like. And so it might be a little more of this, a little less of that. Uh, but at the end of the day, we still got to go operate our system and then execute it and make sure that, you know, everybody else has been in there playing. Uh, those guys uh, raise their level of play as well. So that that's the thing when somebody gets injured, I don't just think that player has to come in there and, and be the guy that brings everything. It's the guys that have been playing, the Nick Brahms, uh, Kobe Hudson, Tank Bigsby's. Those guys that have been playing, those are the guys that have to raise their level of execution too when you have a new player come in that hasn't had as many reps and, and has the same experience as some of those guys that are going to play for us in the game. So I'm counting on those guys to raise their level this week and their execution, uh, make sure they're doing their job so TJ can go in there and just operate and, and, and do what he's asked to do and um, play quarterback uh, the way we know he can and go out there and um, get himself ready and prepared and then come game day, go cut it loose and take advantage of your opportunity to play. All right, last thing here, both Nick Saban and Sam Pittman met with the media here on Wednesday to uh, preview this upcoming matchup here in Tuscaloosa. And one player they both hit on, John Ridgway, the big lineman there for Arkansas. He's the guy that really dictated the pace there against the Texas Longhorns and the Aggies. He got a little banged up. Now it looks like he's back to full strength, and we saw it against Mississippi State and LSU. I mean, he is a difference maker there at a position that uh, doesn't necessarily rack up a lot of stacks, but he's just an offensive game plan buster there in the middle of that defensive line for the Arkansas Razorbacks, something Nick Saban is well aware of. And if you think back to some of the games that uh, Alabama has struggled in, Florida, A&M, LSU, they've lost the, the rushing edge in all those battles. And that's what Arkansas does better than anybody. Now, you could make the, the argument, Texas A&M, Florida, LSU, I mean, they're loaded with talent. Arkansas doesn't quite have that talent, but you know I think Arkansas is just one of those teams that their sum is, is greater than the individual parts. So that's going to be key this weekend going into Tuscaloosa, uh, as well as they don't talk about it here, but Jameson Williams getting him limited. But the, if the Arkansas Razorbacks can find a way to do that, I'm not saying they can. He's the only receiver right now in the SEC with 1,000 yards. And if you go back and watch last year, Alabama, Arkansas, I know Alabama won, I think it was something ridiculous, like 55-3, to something crazy. But they had the Heisman Trophy winner, Devonta Smith, and Barry Odom devised a game plan to completely take Smith out of the game. He did have a punt return for touchdown. You can't completely hold Smith in check, but, hey, that ain't on Barry Odom. But what will he come up with this year to limit Possibly Jameson Williams, if they're able to do it. They, they still got John Menchie, of course. They've got some good tight ends. Their running backs, they've, they're down two running backs, Alabama is. They do have a very physical offensive line. But I, I don't know. I've just got a sense. I think it's going to be a very, very tight ball game. And they're going to need John Ridgeway to step up in a massive, massive way if that's going to be the case. And that's something Nick Saban and Sam Pittman hit up uh, here on Wednesday. Doesn't get a lot of stats with John Ridgeway on their defensive line. I think number 99, what, what stands out to you about him and the effect that he has on games? Yeah, well, I think their front is really, really good. Uh, they're active, they're physical, they're hard to block. Uh, they do a good job of rushing. They do a great job of executing the defense. He's physical, hard to block. Um, you know, they, they play, you know, a three down scheme a lot. 
Um, so it's challenging for those guys to be able to put enough pressure on the passer as well as stop the run, and they do a, a, a really good job, and he's a big key to it. Practice intensity all season. How would you assess the way they practiced this week? Um, yesterday was okay. Today we got a lot of guys that had to pour me's, whatever that means. So, um, you know, get into your feelings and you don't do things the way you need to do them to have success. And when you get that way, you don't create good habits and it's not a good thing. It's not something that we can accept and it's something we got to do a better job of. Hey coach, you mentioned Monday after a look at the film that, that you thought Ridgeway played well against LSU last week. And what, what did you notice on that tape that, you know, that he did to make an impact? You know, he had a leg beat up, you know, maybe the last two or three weeks. Uh, I thought that it healed up a little bit better for him. Uh, I felt like his quickness was better, but his strike was better. And they really, for the most part, he was consistently uh, holding two guys in a gap and uh, it allowed, you know, anytime you go, Man, your linebackers are playing really well. Probably the O-line's not getting up to them. And um, that's that's what, you know, it's not a sexy job or anything of that nature, but it's a very valuable one. I just, he held the point. He made, made some plays in there, but he's a big man. He played with good leverage and good hands. And I thought it was one of his best games. All right, so that's all I got on this episode of the show. Hope you guys appreciated the interview and all the news and notes around the SEC. Cousin Shane will be back on the last episode of the week where we'll make our predictions for the upcoming weekend. Before we get into the Thanksgiving weekend, the rivalry weekend, cannot wait. So much uh, football to enjoy the next upcoming weeks, but... Uh, I just want to say thanks for everybody for sticking with us all throughout the season. Hope you guys appreciate the daily content here on the podcast and on YouTube. Don't forget, if you're not already, check us out on the YouTube. That's free of charge. We're putting up new video content there daily. So just want to say thanks again to everybody. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the next one.